for filling in last week. I appreciate your help, brother. It's uh, so blessing, such a blessing for a pastor to be able to slip out of town and, and be sure that things are taken care of and uh, excited to have uh, folks like David and like Mark Smith who's going to be filling in next Sunday, like Keith Richardson, who are so kind to, to give me an opportunity to get away every once in a while. Um, I do very much thrive on being here with all of you, though, and I'm very glad to be back and have the opportunity to, to preach here today. And just kind of following up on the video that we've watched here this morning, I'm going to share with you a message titled, A Father's Message of Wisdom. We're still in our journey through Luke, Luke chapter 11. Today we come up to verse 27, if you have your Bible, and, and I hope that you do, or some device that has a Bible app on it. Any of those is perfectly acceptable. Find your way to Luke chapter 11, and we'll begin in verse 27 here in just a few minutes. But as this video we've just watched reminds us good fathers like to give helpful instructions to their children words of wisdom that's what we dads strive to impart and we hope that our children get the message on the other end of the spectrum i came across a handful of things you'll probably never hear a dad say for example you'll probably never hear a dad say You know, I'm pretty sure that we're lost. We should stop and ask for directions. You'll probably never hear a dad say, Sweetie, I'm excited that you're 13 years old now because that means you can start going out on dates without any adult supervision. You'll probably never hear a dad say, You know, this modern music is way better than the stuff we used to listen to when I was growing up. You'll probably never hear a dad say, here's a credit card and the keys to my new car go crazy. Probably won't hear that. You'll probably never hear a dad say, you know, life was so much easier when I was growing up. You kids today have it so hard. And you'll probably never hear a dad say, your mother and I are going away for the weekend. You should consider throwing a party while we're gone. You likewise may never hear a dad say, set the thermostats on whatever you like. Oh, and feel free to leave the door open too. What's money compared to the comfort of my loved ones? And you'll probably never hear a dad say, if all your friends are doing it, then it should be fine. Or no son of mine is going to live under this roof without an earring and a tattoo. Now quit your complaining and let's go to the new place with the guy who just got out of prison. You'll probably likewise never hear a dad say, would you, why would you want to go and get a job? I make plenty of money. You should just spend that. Well, not every father is full of good advice, but we do expect in the general case that a good father will impart wisdom to his sons and his daughters. And as we're in this verse-by-verse study through Luke, today we find ourselves, as I've mentioned, in chapter 11, starting in verse 27 and in the opening verses of Luke chapter 11 that we studied a few weeks back we saw that the disciples encountered Jesus in this moment of intense prayer and as Jesus was alone there with his disciples they came to him just seeing this relationship this communion that he has with God and they said man we want something of that and and so they asked Jesus a simple question request saying will you teach us how to pray and it's so interesting that when when Jesus 
teaches his disciples how to make their needs known, how to lift up their requests to the heavenly father, the very first word of the model prayer that he gives them is father. It is this relational term. When we, when, we, when we beckon the God of the universe who created all that there is, who holds all power and all authority, we are to come to him with a term of endearment, a term of relationship, the term father. And we talked as we looked into that passage a few weeks ago about what a blessing it is to be able to, to call upon the one true God as father. Well, after encountering the video of fathers writing letters to their children with words of wisdom for the days ahead, I examined closely this week the rich content of Luke chapter 11, verses 27 to 36. And in these verses, I see a strong connection to the idea of fathers writing letters of wisdom to their sons. In this passage, we have, through Jesus, a father's message of wisdom that contains several characteristics that a traditional letter would contain. These words, for example, are delivered with priority. They are signed. They are delivered. They call for a response, and they must be received. So look with me now at this passage, and we'll dig in so that I can show you what I'm talking about. Luke chapter 11, starting in verse 27. If you're able, I'd ask that you'd stand, that we might honor together the reading of God's word. Verse 27, while Jesus was saying these things, one of the women in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. But he said, on the contrary, blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. As the crowds were increasing, he began to say, this generation is a wicked generation. It seeks for a sign, and yet no sign will be given to it but the sign of Jonah. For just as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up with the men of this generation at the judgment and condemn them, because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will stand with this generation at the judgment and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it away in a cellar nor under a basket, but on the lampstand, so that those who enter may see the light. The eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is clear, your whole body also is full of light. But when it is bad, your body also is full of darkness. Then watch out that the light in you is not darkness. If therefore your whole body is full of light with no dark part in it, it will be wholly illumined as when the lamp illumines you with its rays. Here ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Now, the last time I was with you, we covered the verses just before this passage where individuals were obviously wrong 
about Jesus. Jesus had just performed a great miracle there in verse 14. He had driven out a demon from this man who had previously been mute. And once this mute demon was gone, this man was suddenly able to speak. And many individuals were amazed, but there was this faction of individuals who were wrong about Jesus in the midst of seeing this miracle, such that some of them, the the religious elites of Jesus' day especially, as he's going to call them out in the verses after today's passage, but they saw this miracle and they began to accuse Jesus of performing miracles by the very power of Satan. And then there were others in the crowd who demanded a sign from heaven, as though the miracles that Jesus was performing already were not enough of a sign from heaven. Well, Jesus set them all straight, and in the process, he called for them to recognize that the kingdom of God had come upon them, and that those who were not with him were, in fact, against him. And that leads us into our passage today, where right at the outset, we encounter a woman who is trying to pay Jesus and his earthly mother, Mary, a compliment. This woman in the crowd raises her voice in verse 27, and she says, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. She's essentially saying, Mary is blessed for the work that she has done in raising you up as her son. And that's true. Mary was a blessed individual to be granted this privilege of mothering her own Lord. But Jesus redirects this woman's attention in verse 28. And as he does so, he teaches all of us a lesson. And here's the lesson. It is not the works of Jesus's mother, but the words of Jesus's father that bring true and lasting blessings to an individual. That's why Jesus says, on the contrary, Blessed are those who hear the word of God and who observe it. That is Jesus saying the blessed one, the the happy ones, the ones who are truly satisfied with a satisfaction that lasts in life are the ones who receive the words of wisdom that God the Father sends and who live by those words of wisdom. And it's as if Jesus is identifying the parts of a love letter from a father to his children in these very verses. Let me show you what I mean by sharing with you from this passage five characteristics of the heavenly father's message to you. The first is this. The father's message for you is sent with the highest priority. Sent with the highest priority. That's what Jesus is correcting in verses 27 and 28. This woman has her priorities out of whack. If we were to ask her at this point, if you could have one wish, what would it be? She'd probably say, I wish I could be that man's mother. Oh, how blessed that woman must be. I wish I could have family ties to a miracle worker like that. This woman is captivated by what a blessing it must be to be the mother of Jesus but that's a position that can only be held by one person throughout the halls of history. Jesus instead redirects this woman not to his earthly bloodline family. He, he redirects her to his heavenly family. He redirects her to those who hear the word of God and observe it. 
And what does the word of God call us to do? Well, ultimately, God's word calls for us to be saved by yielding our lives to Christ and by trusting in his finished work. When we hear the word of God and we observe it, we come by faith to Christ and follow him wherever he leads. And he welcomes us into a new family to be his adopted brothers and sisters, the adopted sons and daughters of God the Father. And that's where true blessing resides. And that's a blessing that's not just reserved for one. That's a blessing that is available to each and every one of us. And in a world where there's so often the situation where the individuals who are born into privilege have the upper hand, this is an important truth for us to recognize. True and lasting blessings do not come from your heritage or from your inheritance or from your possessions. True and lasting blessings are what you receive when you hear and observe the word of God. And so you can see here how the Father's message for you is sent with the highest priority. Jesus is saying, focus on the word of God and not on the privileges of your earthly relationships. Focus on the word and not on the womb. And that's a good word for some of us on Father's Day. Because for many of us, Father's Day may be a sad and a discouraging sort of day. For many of us, there is no father who has checked into our lives to impart to us wisdom as we face each new season of life. In fact, statistics now show that 42% of American children live without their father in the home. 42%, that totals to about 20 million children. That's roughly the population of Florida that lives here in America, in our midst, growing up without the regular influence of a loving father. And in many of these cases, the father has checked himself out of a relationship and is no longer involved. Still others live with the tough reality that their fathers passed away tragically early. And then there were yet others who had a father who was in the home but who was abusive or was self-absorbed. And if our only hope was the good things that we celebrate about the influence of good earthly fathers on a day like Father's Day, then many of us would be doomed. But praise God, because we have a greater hope. If Father's Day is a day of painful reminders for you, I want to encourage you to look up. You can still be blessed. That's the promise of verse 28. It is those who hear the word of God and observe it who are blessed. And I don't care what your background may be. You can hear the word of God and observe it. The highest priority has not been withheld from you. The highest privilege is not out of your reach. You too can be blessed by hearing and observing the word of God. Now, don't get me wrong, right? Ideally, Ideally, a family, a strong family, will have an earthly father who is involved and who is imparting wisdom and who is leading his wife and his children to follow Christ. 
And men, I just want to say to you that you need to step up to the plate and be spiritual leaders in your home. You need to be the spiritual leaders of your children. You need to be involved in parting wisdom, directing your young ones to Christ. This is God's calling for you if you are a father. So step up to the plate and do what God's called you to do. You can't hear the word of God and observe it for your children, but you can certainly be sure that they have ample opportunities to hear the word for themselves and to observe it as you share for them a model of what that looks like in your own life, as you exemplify what it looks like to walk with Christ in your own daily walk. If you're checked out of these responsibilities, you need to find a way to check back in today yet each of us must understand that it's not our family ties that matters most i don't care if you grew up in a strong family where following christ was the theme if you do not hear the word of god and observe it for yourself that is no benefit to you the father's message for you is sent with the highest priority that's the first characteristic of the heavenly father's message for you here's the second the father's message for you is signed by the resurrection. Many people in our day have bought into the idea that if you want to see your church grow, then you've got to steer clear of talking about things like God's wrath or man's sin. Well, if that was true, Jesus would have been a pretty lousy church planter. Because in verse 29, we see that as the crowds were increasing, Jesus began to say, this generation is a wicked generation. That's not a very happy-go-lucky sort of message, right? That's probably not a very visitor-friendly sort of message. Jesus established a church by calling individuals out on their wickedness. And the reality is if individuals are going to be saved, they must first realize that they are in danger. Well, Jesus makes that clear. This generation is a wicked generation. Now, none of us wants to think that we're wicked, right? None of us wants to really, like... I mean, we might have the mentality like our generation is wicked, but none of us wants to kind of like own our part in that. But the reality is that we've all sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. We've all bought the enemy's lies that the thing that this world offers is a better thing for us than what God has commanded of us. And if we build a church on some sugary message of love that never calls out the fact that we're sinners in need of the satisfaction of God's wrath, then we build a superficial church. I need to know that I'm a sinner who deserves God's wrath so that I will open my eyes to my helpless estate and seek out the one who can make a difference. And Jesus didn't hold back on calling out a wicked generation, so neither should we. If you want a sugary alternative, I say go to the candy store. But if you want the truth, you need to be able to come to the church. And the specific thing that made some of the individuals Jesus was dealing with in Luke chapter 11 wicked was the fact that they were seeking a sign. Back in verse 16, you'll find that some of them, in order to test Jesus, were demanding a sign from heaven. And when, when we encountered that phrase last time, we talked about how God would at times give a sign from heaven as an authentication of a ministry or of an individual of a person or of, of a certain group of people. For example, the plagues that were cast on Egypt during the Exodus would be an example of a sign from heaven. Or when Elijah called down fire from heaven 
to show God's authority over Baal, the false god. That, that would be another sign from heaven, authenticating God's message. In a similar way, when we write a letter or when we send an email to individuals, we typically will add a signature to our message to confirm that it's from us, right? Well, the earthly reality is that these people were seeing signs from heaven at every turn. I mean, at every turn, Jesus was healing the sick. He was restoring sight to the blind. He was helping the lame to walk. He was controlling nature and calming the wind and the seas and walking on the water, so on and so forth. Jesus had just performed a sign as he'd driven a demon out back in verse 14. But his signs were never enough for some of these people. They just kept wanting more. And to this wicked generation, Jesus says in verse 29 that no sign will be given to it but the sign of Jonah. For just as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. Now, many of you know what happened to the prophet Jonah in the book that bears his name. God commanded Jonah to go to the capital of Assyria called Nineveh. Assyria was the great enemy, a great nation, which brought a very threat against his own nation. And yet God told him to go there. Jonah didn't want to go there. He didn't want them to receive the grace of God. And so he boarded a ship that was headed for Tarshish. Meanwhile, God brought about a great calamity that caused the individuals on that ship to throw Jonah into the sea. He was swallowed by a great fish. And then after a three-day submarine ride, Jonah was regurgitated on the beach, ready to be on mission for God, right? And once he was regurgitated onto the shore, Jonah obeyed the Lord. He preached to the Ninevites, and then there was this great repentance of the enemies of God's people as they beheld this sign and as they turned away from their own wicked paths. And when Jesus says that Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites here in verse 30 of Luke chapter 11, he's referring to Jonah's involvement with a great fish. How do we know that? Well, there's a parallel version of this account in Matthew's gospel where Matthew records a little bit more detail about what Jesus said in this instance. And that's found in Matthew chapter 12, verses 39 through 40, where we read from Jesus, an evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign, and yet no sign will be given to it but the sign of Jonah the prophet For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now we've seen elsewhere in Luke's gospel how Jesus often referred to himself as the Son of Man. And here in this passage, Jesus essentially says, God's going to sign this message that I'm giving to you. And you will see his signature after I've spent three days in the grave. Jesus is referring to his own death, burial, and resurrection. And that's the sign of Jonah. And friends, do you want to know how you can know that the message of God that we've received through Jesus is true? I say, look to the empty tomb. Look to the resurrection. If there really is 
one risen Savior who is risen victorious over death, never to die again, then you must understand that God has given his confirmation that this one is the one you need to listen to. That's why Paul can write in Romans chapter 1, verse 4, that Jesus was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. The resurrection is all the sign you need. Jesus has defeated death and the grave. That's all the confirmation you will ever need. And if you're waiting for a greater confirmation of God's message of salvation than that, your pursuit is a futile one. God has signed this message, and it all rests on the truth of the resurrection, the sign of Jonah. And as a side here, I just want to mention it's so clear in this passage that Jesus believed that there was a literal human figure named Jonah who was a real historic person. I've spent time with pastors in the past who have been trained up to deny anything that would be miraculous that they might find in the scriptures. If a little old lady in their church were to come and to ask them if they thought a man really could survive in the belly of a great fish in the ocean for three days, they would say, oh yeah, sure. But as soon as they got back to their friends and their huddles, they would say, can you believe what this old lady asked me? She really believes that somebody could live in the belly of a great fish. But friends, I stand here before you in light of Luke chapter 11, verses 29, 30, and 32, to tell you that I believe that Jonah was a real, historic, living person who was really swallowed by a great fish and who really did survive a three-day ordeal therein. Why would I say that? Because I, because I see here that Jesus believes that's true. And, and if Jesus could rise from the dead as an authentication of God's power in his life, then, then I'm just not confident enough to say that I'm smarter than Jesus. You understand what I'm saying there? So I don't have the gall to say that I'm smarter than Jesus on this issue. And the Father's message for you is signed by the resurrection. That's the second characteristic of the Heavenly Father's message for you. Here's the third. The Father's message for you is delivered with great wisdom. In verse 31, Jesus draws our attention to an event in Israel's history that is recorded two places in the Old Testament. One would be 1 Kings chapter 10. The other is 2 Chronicles chapter 9. That's where we find this individual known as the Queen of Sheba who comes to Israel's king, whose name was Solomon, in order that she might hear his wisdom. Now, when Solomon first became king, for those of you who've studied the Old Testament, you know that he had a prayer. He he asked God for an understanding of the difference between good and evil. And God, in response to his request, gave Solomon wisdom like no other man. In fact, we read in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 12, that God said these words to Solomon. He said, I have given you a wise and discerning heart so that there has been no one like you before you, nor shall one like you arise after you. You see, Solomon had unparalleled wisdom. And when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the Lord, we read in 1 Kings 10 that she came to test him with difficult questions. And she spoke with him about all that was in her heart. You see, she had questions 
And she took them to the source of wisdom. And he answered all of her questions. And the queen of Sheba found satisfaction in the wisdom of the Lord through this representative of wisdom named Solomon. And she was not disappointed that she had gone to great efforts to earn an audience with him. Jesus says that this queen, the queen of Sheba, or as Luke describes her, the queen of the south, this queen came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And yet in verse 31, Jesus says of himself, behold, something greater than Solomon is here. He's essentially saying that he, as the father's messenger, is the wisest messenger who has ever come. The wisest messenger who has ever lived. And the Father's message for you is delivered with great wisdom. If the Queen of Sheba came from the ends of the earth to hear Solomon, we can only imagine what she would have done to hear the words of Jesus. I can imagine the Queen of the South saying, if I could hear wisdom from someone this wise, there's no distance I would not go. That there's no, there's no mountain I would not cross in order to be near to him and learning from him and living according to his wise words. And yet for many of us, the wisdom of God is so much easier for us to access. The wisdom of God is, is there. It, it's on our bookshelves. It's on our nightstand. It, it's on our electronic devices where we can just so easily pull up and enjoy the very wisdom of God. And yet, some of us are so infrequent to do so. We are so hesitant, so reluctant to turn to the word of God. And the diligence of the queen of Sheba to hear wisdom from God through Solomon calls for each of us to examine ourselves and say, is God's wisdom really that important to me? If God's wisdom is so readily available to me, am I taking advantage of that readily available resource? Am I, am I finding the joys that the Queen of Sheba found by taking all of my questions to the one who has revealed this wisdom, the one who knows my deepest needs? Am I finding my satisfaction in Him? If the queen of Sheba traveled days, maybe weeks or months even, from the ends of the earth to hear Solomon's wisdom, should you and I not at least be willing to give up at least 15 minutes of our day to get up a little bit earlier and to travel five steps further to reach the bookshelf so that we can behold the wisdom of God? Well, if we're not taking advantage of the wisdom that God has granted to us, in his message, then I think we need to ask ourselves, why are we not doing that? Do we not think that we need wisdom to navigate the perils of life? That's probably not the issue for any of us. We know we need wisdom. Do we underestimate the value of God's wisdom for us? Well, probably. I think a good number of us would say that we probably do. Do we deceive ourselves into thinking that we do not need this wisdom to thrive? Well, let's hope not. Because our God is a good God. He made us and he knows what's best for us. And he has not withheld his best from us. One greater than Solomon has come to reveal for you that God has established a great rescue plan for each and every one of us. 
His only son lived a sinless life, unlike Solomon. And he bore the wrath that you and I deserve in his agonizing death on a cross. And he was buried for three days. And yet he was raised from the dead as a confirmation that he was God's wisest, final messenger. God himself in the flesh, bearing sin's penalty and conquering sin's sentence. Friends, we need this wisdom. And Jesus says that the queen of the south will rise up with the men of this generation and condemn them. That is this woman, this outsider, this Gentile who is outside of the people of God will stand and condemn the people of God when his great and final judgment comes because they refuse to listen to the great wisdom that was dwelling in their very midst. And each of us should ask the question, will the queen of Sheba rise up at the judgment and condemn me? Have I neglected this wisdom? Have I lived as though I do not need this wisdom? Have I been so wise in my own eyes that I've refused to hear what Jesus has to say? Have I rejected the message of salvation by grace through faith because I think I've got a better plan? Oh, friends, we need Jesus. We need greater wisdom. And so let us lay every other pursuit in the dust if it hinders us from beholding this wisdom. Because the Father's message for you is delivered with great wisdom. That's the third characteristic of the Heavenly Father's message for you. Here's the fourth. The Father's message for you calls for your response. In verse 32, Jesus shows that the Queen of Sheba will not be alone in her words of condemnation against those who reject God's message at the final judgment. For the men of Nineveh, he says, will stand up with this generation at the judgment and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Now to repent is to respond to the message of God. The Greek word that's translated repent here literally means to have a new mind or to change one's mind in a way that causes an individual to change his or her direction. When we send a message, we typically expect a response. And the same is true for the Father's message to us. The Father's message for you calls for a response. He calls for you to repent. He calls for you to recognize that you've missed his design and his intent to such an extent that you must now turn away from your self-saving and self-serving life and yield yourself to his grace and his control. And good preaching will call individuals to repent. That's what Jonah's preaching did. That's why the people of Nineveh repented at the preaching of Jonah. But I must take a moment here just to lament the fact that precious few people appear to be responding to the preaching of the gospel with repentance in our day. Oh, that we would have a Ninevite revival in the churches of our generation. Oh, that the people of God would hear and respond to the message of Christ, our Redeemer. Oh, God, grant us the preaching of your word that conveys that you expect a response to your message. But even the generation that Jesus preached to in the flesh, in their very midst, 
was unwilling to respond. Why? Well, I can't help but think that they had their eyes fixed on on what everyone else was doing rather than what Jesus proclaimed and what Jesus called for them to do. These people would not repent with Jesus himself preaching to them, and that's likely because they didn't want to be seen as too extreme or too contrary to the traditions of their families and their communities. But friends, I just tell you, if your traditions don't have an eternal guarantee behind them, then you must be willing to subject them to the call to receive and to follow Christ. Now look, if you want to find a better preacher than the one you're listening to this morning, you won't have a lot of trouble finding one, okay? But if you're looking for a better gospel than the one that we encounter as we dig into the scriptures verse by verse, week after week, then you're out of luck. God has given us all the good news that we need. In that in Christ was revealed here in the Bible. He was revealed for us in a way that is sufficient for us there's no better word to receive than the word which acknowledges that jesus is the savior who has come for you and who calls for you to come to him he is it and so believe him my friends believe this message cling to it rejoice in it i can only imagine the men of nineveh i can only imagine if they had heard the gospel instead of just Instead of just Jonah coming through and telling them to repent, I can only imagine if they had heard the good news that a Savior had come and had borne the penalty for their sins. I can only imagine how they would have responded upon hearing the gospel. I can only imagine they would have said if we had heard a message like this one, there's no habit we wouldn't have broken. There's no evil longing that we wouldn't have forsaken. There's no treasure that we wouldn't sell to turn toward him and to follow him. And the Father's message for you calls for your response. That's the fourth characteristic of the Heavenly Father's message for you. Here's the final one. The Father's message for you must be received. All the wisdom we could record and all the messages that we could write are of no value if they are not received by their intended recipients. And our God offers you a message, but it's no value to you unless you receive it. In verses 33 to 36, Jesus uses the analogy of a lamp and the light that it emits to show the importance of receiving this gospel message. In this analogy, the lamp is the gospel. It's the word of God, the message about Christ from our Father, which illumines our way to eternal life. Now, in the darkness... We harm ourselves. In the darkness, we do not perceive or respond to alternate paths that might be more of a blessing to us. And so a good father does what he can to keep the lights on. And Jesus says here in verse 33, No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it away in a cellar or under a basket, but on the lampstand, so that those who enter may see the light. And Christ has come as the light of the world. John 1, 4 reveals, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. Christ has come to be the light of God who illumines your greatest need. And know this, God has not hidden his light under a basket. 
His truth is not hard to find. His gift of life is within your reach. He has revealed himself. He has lifted up his word, first on a cross, and then out of a grave, and then into the heavenly realm. And these things were made available for the whole world to see. So don't fall for the phony substitutes. Jesus says in verse 34 that the eye is the lamp of the body. And when your eye is clear, your whole body is also full of light. But when it is bad, your whole body is also full of darkness. You know, I don't need eyes on my feet to be able to see where I'm going when I'm out walking somewhere. If my eyes that are up here are working, then my whole body knows where I'm headed. My whole body is illuminated. But if my eye is bad, if I'm blind, then then shining a spotlight on every location where I'm going is not going to make a lick of difference for me, right? If your eye is bad, then, then no abundance of light is going to make the difference for you. So Jesus warns in verse 35 saying, then watch out that the light that is in you is not darkness. That's the peril of so many of the people who were around Jesus. This is the peril that they were facing. They attributed God's work through Christ to Satan. They thought they had all the light they needed, but the light that they had was self-righteous light. The light that they had said, I'm good enough without any outside intervention. And the light that they had was actually darkness. And so I warn you, don't take in, don't receive, don't cherish the wrong thing as though it is light for you. Don't be falsely enlightened because there are many individuals who think that they are enlightened when in reality they're full of darkness. They're trusting the wrong sources of light that will not endure to eternal life. Now heed the call of verse 36 where Jesus says, if your whole body is full of light with no dark part in it, It will be wholly illumined as when the lamp illumines you with its rays. That's a call, my friends, to receive God's light by holding nothing back. And so I ask you, friend, are you holding anything back from Jesus? Are you keeping some crevice of darkness to yourself rather than yielding it to his control? Is there some bad habit or some relationship or some ambition or some prize that you would keep to yourself instead of giving yourself wholly to him well the ultimate question for each of us in light of what jesus reveals to us in light of the fact that we see a good father's message of wisdom to us is this will you see the light will you behold the beauty of one who is greater will you receive true light and i say to you come in weary sinner come in you have you who have been wandering in the darkness come in and find his light lifted up for you to see come in and find life and joy and peace and forgiveness and a newness of purpose receive the father's message of mercy through the savior who has nailed to the cross so that you wouldn't have to be. Receive the Father's message of grace through the resurrection that promises that all who entrust their lives to him shall likewise conquer death. Receive the Father's message of hope 
that the sorrows and the trials of this world will not have the final say. Receive the gospel. Trust in Jesus and find life. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you have sent to us this great message. You have revealed to us a Savior who is the very essence of wisdom, who comes bringing an eternal hope that is signed with the guarantee of the resurrection. And Father, we just rejoice to know that you loved us enough to send this message our way while we were still sinners. And God, we need this message. Lord, Lord, there there may be some who are here today who are struggling with the idea of being a sinner and thinking that they are beyond your grace. God, I just pray that you'd help them to know your message has come while we were yet sinners. Your message has now come to to beckon us into your grace. And so, Father, I pray in these final moments as we gather and as we sing, God, I just pray if there's someone who needs to yield their life to Christ, if there's someone who needs to find this true light, God, I just pray you'd, you'd let this message ring loud and clear in their hearts that they might know that you are a good father who has a wonderful hope that is readily available to whosoever will turn away from their sins, trust in you, and seek to follow you, Lord. Thank you for the grace that is so rich it can overwhelm the sins of a sinner even like me. And Father, I pray that this grace would resound in every heart here today as we stand and sing now in these final moments. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.